Daniel 11.21 for our message from the Word of God this morning. You'll find Daniel 11.21 on page 917 in the Church Bible. Today's date is May 30th, 2021. Today's text will be in Daniel 11:21 through 35. And the title of this morning's message is The Vilest of the Vile. The Vilest of the Vile. And we begin with the story of a young woman who brought her new boyfriend home to meet her parents. And this guy was vulgar and insulting and was covered with vile tattoos. After he left, her mom said to her, He doesn't seem like a very good person, dear. And her daughter answered, Mom, if he wasn't a good person, would he be doing 500 hours of community service? (laughs) Well, the word vile means low down and disgusting, among other things. And speaking of vile things, here in Daniel 11, the angel Gabriel is about to tell Daniel about the Antichrist, a man who is going to be the vilest of the vile. We've seen that he's going to rise up out of the nation of Syria. And last week, we saw that this chapter is focusing on the future kings of Syria. Gabriel calls them the kings of the north because Syria is north of Israel. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Bible, directions are always given in relation to Israel. That land is the focus of God's attention. Let's begin in verse 19, where Gabriel is talking about one of the last kings in Syria before Antichrist becomes the king of Syria. I direct your attention to Daniel 11.19 where Gabriel tells Daniel, Then he, this king of Syria, shall, uh, I'm sorry, after, uh, then he shall turn his face toward the fort of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Now, when it says that this king of Syria will not be found, that means he died, folks. Like it does in your first reference in Psalm 37, 35, and 36. I have seen the wicked in great power. and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Do you see how it says the man passed away? And then it says he couldn't be found. Do you also see how the only time in the Bible it uses the words green bay, it's talking about wickedness. I'm just saying. 
<laughs> no amens from the Packer fans? <laughs> anyway, here in verse 19, when it says the king of the north could not be found, that means he died. And then, in verse 20 in your Bible, it says, then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Now, the word estate there, that refers to a man's possessions. Uh, The term real estate refers to the land that he possesses, right? But as you know, when a man dies, they have an estate sale (laughs) where they sell everything that he possesses, right? And a king's possessions would include his personal possessions, of course, but it would also include his kingdom. And that's the meaning here in verse 20. When the king of the north dies, a man is going to stand up in his kingdom, in his estate. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, remember what Gabriel said about Alexander the Great in your next reference in Daniel 11.4? When he shall stand up, His kingdom will be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. When we studied that verse, we said that it means that as soon as Alexander became king of Greece, he died. And his four generals divvied up his kingdom. So standing up there meant that he became king. And that's what it means here in verse 22. When the king of the north dies, another guy is going to stand up in his estate and become the next king of Syria. And when verse 20 says that he'll raise taxes in, quote, the glory of the kingdom, I think it means he's going to raise taxes in Israel. And you say, well, why would you think that? (laughs) Well, remember last week we said that a previous king of the north conquered Israel. Your next reference in Daniel 11.16 says that when he started to go forth conquering nations... None shall stand before him. And he shall stand where? In the glorious land, the land of Israel, which by his hand shall be consumed. Remember last week I said the only land that God would call glorious is the land of Israel. And that's the glorious kingdom that this new king of Syria is going to tax. I think he's going to be smart enough not to tax his own people. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to tax people, you tax the people you conquered, right? Isn't that what the Lord said uh, when he asked Peter about taxes in Matthew 17, 25, and 26? He asked Peter, he says, Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, tax money? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said, of strangers. And Jesus saith unto them, then are the children of that kingdom free. So I think this new king of Syria is going to say to the people of Israel, read my lips. (laughs) There will be many new taxes in Israel. And then a few days later, he ends up dead. (laughs) Imagine that. You know, when we pray for our leaders next week, um, 
Remind me to pray that they read this passage where, where a leader dies after raising taxes. I'm just having fun. But when verse 20 says that he died neither in anger nor in battle like kings usually do, that means, folks, that somebody kills him in some mysterious way. And I think that somebody is going to be the Antichrist. Because Gabriel goes on to talk about the Antichrist in the very next verse, in verse 21. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, as we're going to see, this vile person is the Antichrist. And I just don't think it's a coincidence that mention of a mysterious death is followed right away by a mention of the Antichrist. I think he did him in. But why would he do that? Why would the Antichrist want to murder the king of Syria? Well, it won't be so that he can become the next king of Syria, folks. He doesn't want to be king of Syria. He wants to be king of Israel. Don't forget, he may be a Syrian, but we know he's also going to be a Jew. Because he's going to make the Jews think he's their Messiah. And they would never believe that a Gentile could be their Messiah. So we know he's Jewish. So when it says he's going to stand up in the estate of the former king of Syria, I think it means he'll become a prominent leader in Syria so that he can use that position to become the king of Israel. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you know he's going to be the next king of Israel and not the next king of Syria? Well, I know that because Gabriel doesn't say he obtained his kingdom by killing the former king. He says whatever kingdom he obtains... He's going to obtain it by flatteries. And I got to tell you, that's, <laughs> that's just as vile as obtaining it by murdering somebody, folks. Remember, vile means dirty, low down, and disgusting. <laughs> and listen, murder and flattery, that'll just be the beginning of the many vile things that Antichrist will do in his career. He's going to make Boris Badenov look good. How many of you remember Boris Badenov? Anybody? You don't remember Boris Badenov from the Bugs Bunny? No, from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah! He was a member of Local 12, the Villains, Thieves, and Scoundrels Union. Remember? Well, this, this guy, the Antichrist, could be the president of the Villains, Thieves, and Scoundrels Union. Speaking, I'm surprised more people don't remember Rocky and Bogwinkle and Boris, Bat Boris and Natasha. Come on, boy, am I old? Whew. I didn't know Boris had a last name. Oh, Badenoff. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Antichrist and not Boris Badenoff, uh, Psalm fifty-five twenty-one says, "The words of his mouth." were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. You say, well, Pastor, you've, you've quoted that before, but how do we know that's talking about the Antichrist? Well, we know because in the verse that comes right before verse 21, your next reference, Psalm 55.20 says, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him, and he has broken his covenant. Well, let me ask you, 
who's the one who's going to make and break a covenant with Israel? It's the beast, folks. He's going to obtain the kingdom by flatteries. But when he breaks the covenant that he makes with Israel, he's going to show the war that was in his heart all along. Now, we're not told what kind of flattery he's going to use to obtain the kingdom. But in our scripture reading this morning in 2 Samuel 15, we saw the kind of flattery that David's son Absalom used to steal the kingdom of Israel from David. I gave you a little synopsis of it in your next reference in 2 Samuel 15, 2-6. When any man that had a controversy came to the king, King David, for judgment, then Absalom said, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. That exclamation mark's in your Bible. (laughs) And on this manner, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, And like I told you this morning, Absalom's a type of the Antichrist. So maybe, maybe that's how Antichrist will obtain the kingdom of Israel. By telling the Jews things like, oh, it's not good or right that the people of God should be paying taxes to Syria. Oh, that an Assyrian like me were made king of Israel. That would put an end to the Syrian taxing of Israel. Think that might work? We do know that that's when he's going to confirm that covenant with Israel, guaranteeing their peace. And that's why back in your Bible now, in verse 21, it says he comes in peaceably. I'm sure the Jews will find that flattering as well, that he would guarantee their safety and their peace. But that's when the Antichrist is going to show the war that's in his heart. As we see in verse 22, the next verse in your Bible. Speaking of the Antichrist, when he gets done flattering with the arms of a flood, <clears throat> shall they be overflown from before him. And it's kind of making a reference to how when a river overflows, it's a flood. With the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken. Yea, also the prince of the covenant. Now we saw earlier in our study of Daniel that the, the flood that he's going to use to make war with Israel, it's not a flood of water, folks. It's going to be a flood of armies. At least that's how Isaiah sees it in your next reference in Isaiah 8, verses 5 to 8. Isaiah says, The Lord spake also unto me, saying, For as much as this people, the people of Israel, refuseth the waters of Shiloh that go softly, the Lord bringeth upon them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, even the king of Assyria. See how he's compared to a flood? And he shall come up over all his banks, flow over all his borders, and he'll pass through Judah, and he will overflow and go over the breadth of the land of Israel. Folks, Shiloh is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Jews refused His soft waters, 
God vowed that He was going to punish Israel with the raging waters of the Assyrian Antichrist. He's called the Prince of the Covenant there in verse 22 to point out how vile He is for breaking that covenant. I mean, you got to be pretty low down and disgusting to promise peace to Israel and then turn around and flood Israel with armies. Now before we read verse 23, I have to pause and point out that Gabriel is, he's going to do a lot of jumping back and forth in the timeline here in this passage because Well, if you know anything about prophecy, that's always the way prophecy reads. Jumps around in the timeline. So in the next verse, Gabriel is going to go back and talk about what will happen in the three and a half years after he confirms the covenant, but before he goes to war with Israel. Look at verse 23. And after the league or covenant made with him, he shall work deceitfully. The war part comes later. (laughs) Three and a half years he works deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. Now when it says that he's going to work deceitfully, he's not going to be able to deceive all the people of Israel because... It's not possible to to deceive the very elect. Didn't the Lord say that? But verse 23 says he's going to deceive enough of them to raise up a small following of people. That's why in your next reference in Daniel 8-9 he's called a little horn which wax great. He's going to start small and wax great. Or as Gabriel puts it here in verse 23, he's going to become strong with a small people. Okay, in the next verse, verse 24, it describes what's going to happen next. Then he'll enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province in Israel, And he'll do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He'll scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches. Yea, and he'll forecast his devices against the strongholds, even for a time. Now, when it says he'll enter peaceably, we read about that back in your next reference in Daniel 8.25, where speaking of the Antichrist, it says he shall magnify himself and by peace shall destroy many. By promising Israel peace and, and winning their confidence, he's going to end up destroying many of them when he turns on them. But verse 24 here says that when he promises that peace, oh, the Jews are going to be so grateful for this promise of peace that they're going to give him the fattest places of the province, the the choicest lands in Israel. And verse 24 says that obtaining the kingdom peaceably That's something that his fathers never did. All of his, all of the former kings of Syria, all his fathers took the kingdom of Israel by force, not by flattery. Like the king we read about in your next reference in uh, Daniel 11.16. None shall stand before him. Remember we, we read this already. And he'll stand in the glorious land which by his hand shall be consumed. That king of Syria, he didn't take the kingdom <laughs> by flatteries. He, he, he took it by force and consumed him. 
And back in verse 24, it also says he'll spoil Israel of her riches and then scatter the spoil among his fathers in Israel. That's what nations always do when they take over. But you know what? (laughs) Even with all those riches, he won't be satisfied with his riches because verse 24 says that he's going to do some forecasting. And that's a word that just means to scheme. And a device, when it says he's gonna, they're gonna, he's gonna forecast devices, a device is something you scheme up. And the reason he's gonna be scheming will be to get more riches. He's going to start out by scheming against something verse 24 calls the strongholds. Now that's a reference to Israel's rich neighbor to the south, as you see in the next verse in your Bible, in verse 25. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south will be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Now last week we saw the king of the north is Syria, but the king of the south was, anybody remember? Egypt. And we also saw that for some reason... All the nations of the Mideast are going to want to conquer Egypt in the tribulation. I don't know why. Maybe they'll unearth the tomb of some pharaoh (laughs) who was so rich that it'll make the tomb of King Tut look like the king of a pauper. I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. If, if you've got that much Money. You can raise up a very great and mighty army. And verse 25 says that's what the king of Egypt did. But if he has a very great and mighty army, how come he won't be able to stand against the Antichrist who it says just has a great army? Not a great and mighty army. Well, It's because of the devices. It's because of the scheme that Antichrist is going to scheme up to kill the king of the south. One that you read about in verse 26 in your Bible. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow and many shall fall down slain. Folks, they that feed of the portion of the king's meat are his trusted friends. You'll remember that the Lord had a trusted friend who dipped a sop with him, shared a portion of his meat at the Last Supper, right? And then sold him out! That means that the scheming device that Antichrist is going to devise will be to get the trusted friends of the king of the south in Egypt to sell him out and destroy him. And once he's dead, verse 26 also says that his army will then overflow into the storm streets, in the, in the chaos that often arises when a king is murdered. And many will be slain in Egypt. <laughs> but listen, don't feel sorry for the king of Egypt. <laughs> don't feel sorry for the king of the south because he's just going to be reaping what he sowed. We know that because as we read on, Gabriel jumps back to before he dies to show us that he's just as sneaky a scoundrel as the the Antichrist. Look Look at verse 27. Both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, 
and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper. For yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Now, that table that they're going to sit at, that'll be the table where they sit to conduct peace talks. Being the two most powerful kings in the world at that time, folks, they're going to sit down at a table and talk about what superpowers always talk about. How that between the two of them, they should be able to bring peace to the whole world. But verse 27 says their hearts are going to be filled with mischief while they're talking peace around that table. That's why in your next reference, the psalmist prays in Psalm 28.3, Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, the ones who speak peace to their neighbors, but what? Mischief is in their hearts. But as verse 27 reminds us, these peace talks, they're not going to prosper. Because you and I know that world peace won't come until the time appointed, that verse says. The time appointed by God in the end of the world when the Lord returns to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's the end that verse 27 is talking about. But as we read on, we see that before Antichrist kills the king of the south in Egypt, somehow or other he connives him out of at least some of those great riches. Look at verse 28. <laughs> verse 28, Then shall he return, speaking of the Antichrist, <clears throat> Then shall he return into his land in Syria with great riches, and his heart will be against the Holy Covenant, and he'll do exploits and return to his own land. Now, we know he doesn't get all of Egypt's riches because, <laughs> because later he's going to go back for more. <laughs> but verse 28 says he'll return to his land in Syria with enough riches to do exploits of some kind. Now, an exploit is something you do that becomes famous. You know, like promising to protect people and then attacking them instead. Oh, that'll make you infamous. That kind of famous. But we know that's the exploit that it's talking about here because verse 28 says that along about that time, he starts getting tired of that pesky covenant. <laughs> that pesky covenant that he confirmed with Israel. And he starts to set his heart against it. And verse 29 says, At the time appointed, he'll return and come toward the south. But it shall not be as the former or as the latter. Now, we know from other scriptures that the time appointed for the Antichrist to break that covenant with Israel is midway through the 70th week of the tribulation. Verse 29 here says it'll start with Antichrist's return toward the south in Egypt from Syria. But it says his return to Egypt will not be as his former trip to Egypt. <laughs> the one we read about in verse 25 when he came against Egypt with a great army. Remember that? And it's not going to be like the, la the latter time when he came against Egypt when he hoodwinked the king out of, <laughs> out of some of his riches. So how is he going to come against Egypt this time? Well, notice that verse 29 says, uh, I'm sorry, notice that verse 29 doesn't say he'll come against the king of the south, like it's been saying. It just says he's going to come against the south. And you know what? 
Israel is south of Syria too. So I think Antichrist is going to start his attack against Egypt this time by conquering Israel along the way. And it all starts in verse 30 in your Bible. For the ships of Chittim shall come against the Antichrist. Therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Now, when it says some ships from Chittim are going to come against the Antichrist, you say, where in the world is Chittim? Well, Chittim is named after one of the sons of Noah in your next reference. In Genesis 10, verses 1 to 4. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born sons after the flood. And then it focuses on the sons of Japheth, Gomer and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. And folks, Kittim, at least I'm told by people smarter than me, <laughs> Kittim is just another way of spelling Chittim. And those same people who are smarter than me, and there's a lot of them, those same people who know more about these things than I do tell me that Japheth settled in Europe. So these ships that'll come from Chittim against Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation are ships from Europe. And interestingly enough, Balaam predicted this attack in your next reference. Numbers 24, 24. Ships shall come from the coast of Chittim and shall afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber. Well, Asher's another name for Assyria. And Eber, that's the word that we get the word Hebrew from. So Eber is another name for the people of Israel. So these ships of Chittim are going to be coming against Antichrist and Israel, according to Balaam. And Antichrist knows that prophecy, folks. So, so when Balaam says that Chittim's going to come against Israel too, as well as Syria, he's going to think to himself, hmm... I know I promised to protect Israel, but hey, they're attacking Syria too. I, I got enough to worry about defending Syria. So do you know what that rascal, that vile person is going to do? He's going to decide to join Europe in her attack on Eber, her attack on Israel, and let a little of that war out of his heart. So verse 30 says that his intelligence agents are going to start talking to Jews who will be willing to forsake the covenant and won't mind selling Israel out. And that's when Matthew 24.10 will come to pass. Then shall many betray one another and will hate one another. And some of those traitors in Israel are, are even going to be willing to take up arms for the Antichrist, as we see as we read on in verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, the temple, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's interesting that Jews are going to take up arms for the, for the first time since ancient times. The Jews are going to take up arms 
to support the Antichrist. (laughs) Think about that. But if you think about it, it's because they think he's their Messiah. So yeah, let's take up arms. Let's join him. But I bet you that the people bearing these arms will also include those ten kings that we read about that side with the Antichrist. And folks, let me tell you, when the Antichrist gets ten of those angry nations in the Mideast <laughs> fighting on his side, plus all the nations of Europe, plus the traitors in Israel willing to forsake the covenant, Israel's not going to stand a chance. Verse 31 says that all that assembled host is going to have just one thing in mind, taking away the daily sacrifice. The one we read about in your next reference in Daniel 8.12, when it says a host was given to the Antichrist against the daily sacrifice. And the daily sacrifice is offered in the temple, the, the, the sanctuary that verse 31 is talking about. Folks, the entire world is going to want to destroy the religion of Israel in that day. And when the Antichrist sees this host that he's going to be given, he's going to decide it's time to pollute the sanctuary by sitting on the mercy seat in the temple and declaring himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation verse 31 is talking about. We've seen that many times. Verse 32, And such as do wickedly against the covenant, the ones we talked about that forsook the holy covenant, such as do wickedly, the traitors, such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Promising them places in his kingdom, probably. But the people in Israel that know their God, the saved ones, they're going to be strong. And they're going to do exploits. Antichrist is going to corrupt those, those unsaved Jews who forsake the covenant. And you know what? If they forsake the covenant that protects the Jews, that means they're going to start not protecting the Jews. They're going to start persecuting the Jews. Save Jews. But it says that saved Jews, they know their God. So they'll be strong and do some exploits of their own. And I think it's talking about the kind of exploits that the Lord sent the twelve apostles to do before the the mystery interrupted this prophecy. Exploits like casting out devils, handling serpents, drinking deadly things, laying hands on the sick, healing the sick, the sick, (laughs) sick, sick. Listen, exploits like that will make them as famous as it made the Lord when he did them. He was known throughout the world, the known world. And that's not all that the people who know their God will be doing, as we see in verse 33, in your next verse in the Bible. Verse 33 says, And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil for many days. The people in Israel who know their God are also going to be teaching people. You say, teaching them what? Teaching them what the Lord sent the twelve apostles to teach before the mystery interrupted this prophecy. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Well, what did he command them? They're going to be teaching them the law and the kingdom program. But being as how it's going to be the worst time of trouble in the history of the world, verse 33 in your Bible says some of them are going to fall by the sword and the flame and the captivity 
All those things that will make it the worst time of trouble in the world. Some of them are going to die. Verse 34, Now when they shall fall, well, I guess not die, but because it says when they shall fall, they shall be hoping. That word means helped. When they shall start to fall, they'll be helped with a little help. But many will cleave to them with flatteries of their own. Now you look at that and say, what could possibly help them against a flood of armies? Well, God tells us in Revelation 12, 15 and 16, the serpent, the devil, cast out of his mouth water as a flood. He's talking about armies, folks. And the earth helped and opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, swallowed up this army, which the dragon cast out of his mouth, just like the earth did back in, what was it, Numbers chapter 12? And the sons of Korah, all of a sudden the earth opened up and... Well, this vast host, this huge army Antichrist has assembled is gone. So then his persecution is going to go underground. When verse 34 says that he's going to make many cleave to the Jews. Well, those are the ones you read about in Revelation 2.9, your next reference. I know the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews. They're going to come alongside and cleave to you and say, yeah, we're, we're one of you. But they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. Folks, the Lord warned about that. He said there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing in that day, right? Infiltrating the synagogues of the Jews so more of them will fall. As you see in the last verse in your Bible, in our text, in verse 35. Some of them of understanding will fall to try or test them and to purge, and make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. Now, who are these ones of understanding? Well, last week we saw they're the ones that John wrote to in 1 John 2, 20 and 27. He said, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. The anointing, he's talking about the anointing they had at Pentecost, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the anointing abideth in you, and ye, how much do they know all things? They know all things so much that they need not any man teach them. So, the ones of understanding in verse 35 that fall there, they're the ones who will be in the tribulation filled with the Spirit just like they had at Pentecost. And they'll understand all things. They'll know all things in a, in a miraculous way. But you know what? When it says they'll fall, it goes on to say they need to fall. Some of them. Because some of them aren't going to be saved, folks. Look at Hebrews 6, 4-6. to Remember this warning? This is talking about the people of Pentecost. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened with this miraculous understanding. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, the power to speak in tongues and cast out devils. and stuff. If they fall away, there's that word fall, well, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. That's why Israel is going to need the, the purging that verse 35 talks about there to weed out those unbelievers like Peter did with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Folks, you're seeing the career of the Antichrist unfold before your very eyes. But in closing, back in verse 31, when, when Gabriel talked about the temple, see how he called it 
the sanctuary. When we were looking at that verse, did you wonder why he called it the sanctuary of strength? Well, it's because in the midst of verse 31, when it's talking about the arms of of the people who are going to side with the enemy, side with the Antichrist, Gabriel wants to remind Daniel of where his strength lies. Because it's going to lie in the strength of the blood that was sprinkled on the, on the mercy seat on top of that ark. That's what, Ezekiel, that's what Ezekiel had in mind in your last reference. In Ezekiel 24, in verse 21, where God talks about my sanctuary. It's my house, but it's the excellency of your strength. And you know what? When the arms of all the people that surround you seem to be just beating you down, don't forget, that's where your strength lies too. Not in the blood sprinkled on top of a mercy seat, but in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. But only if you keep your eyes on Him. Heavenly Father, we're we're thankful that we can look into Your Word and track the career of the beast. And we know that after You catch us up in the air to meet the Lord and wherever with Him, We know that's what they're going to be doing. Your people here on earth that will rise up in that day, believe on the Lord, and become the the kingdom saints that will continue your ministry. This is what they're going to be doing. They're going to have Daniel 11 open. And then they're going to have the newspaper open next to it. And they're going to be watching it unfold before their very eyes. What a comfort that is. We think of how when we go to see the doctor because something's ailing us and he says, well, yeah, you've got such and such and first you're going to get feel queasy and then you're going to have a temperature then you're going to have vomiting and then, and then you're going to feel better. Well, when all those things come, it's a comfort to know. The doctor said, yeah, that's, that's going to come. But he said it's going to get better. And that's what we're seeing here. All these horrendous things that your word says are going to come. But along with it, they're going to see a promise that it's going to get better. Father, we know that no matter what we're going through in life as well, it's going to get better. We thank you for the one that made it all possible. And we pray these thanks in his name, the Lord Jesus. Amen.